This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to Is This Real Life? Bravo podcast that relates our favorite shows to our own lives and the world around us. I'm your host, Mandy Slutsker. Let's get to it. Hi, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful week. So this week on the podcast, it's just me. I was traveling back from Minneapolis, and then I spent the week in New York City for work, and now I'm back getting ready for Yom Kippur, so I didn't have the opportunity to have a guest this week, but we will be back to the regularly scheduled programming next week. But I guarantee you this is going to be a very enjoyable podcast because I have some special nuggets (laughs) throughout if you keep listening. Um, I think we should start with some of the, you know, Bravo hot topics. And of course, we have to begin with Miss Shannon Storms Bedore. She got a DUI earlier this past week in Newport Beach when she was leaving John Jansen's house drunk, got in her car with her dog Archie and drove very insanely and actually went and hit a house and then pulled over to the side of the road and allegedly got out with Archie and allegedly pretended to be walking Archie and act like she didn't know what was happening when the police showed up. Oh my gosh, we haven't actually heard from Shannon yet. I'm recording this on Saturday night, so who knows if she's going to come out with a statement. We haven't heard anything about her potentially going to rehab. I know there was a Daily Mail article, but I don't feel like they're a reputable publication. So until Shannon comes out with a statement, we don't really know her take on the whole thing. And of course, even if she does come out with a statement, I'm sure it will have gone through multiple iterations and reviewed by lawyers and PR. So who knows if that's even how she really feels. Now, for those of us who have been a little bit concerned about Shannon's relationship with alcohol, I think we're hoping that this is a wake-up call for her. But it feels like she's someone who always makes excuses, who says that she drinks because of what's going on in her life, and she uses it maybe as a crutch, and she doesn't actually have a problem. If she wanted to not drink, she she wouldn't. That, that sort of a thing is kind of how I anticipate her taking this. And Jeff Lewis, who's a very close friend of her, came out and said that he didn't think that she was an alcoholic, that she's just going through some stuff. Now... I don't know if it matters, I guess, whether or not someone is an alcoholic to determine whether or not they should maybe stop drinking for an extended period of time. And, you know, Gina says she doesn't identify as an alcoholic, but she realized she had an unhealthy relationship with alcohol and she stopped. And that's not an easy thing to do and it's not an easy thing to admit, but 
you know, both of these women have had DUIs. I think they act as if it's not that big of a deal sometimes, but it really is. Getting in your car when you are drunk is a choice, and you are now not just harming yourself, but everyone around you. My personal belief, and again, (laughs) this is just my take on it, um, it sounds like allegedly Shannon and John Jansen are back together and allegedly they have these like very tumultuous fights and allegedly neighbors heard them screaming and yelling at each other before Shannon stormed off. I really worry about Shannon. I personally still believe that Shannon was in a physically and emotionally abusive relationship with her husband, David Bedore, based on what Vicky had said when they were in Ireland during a previous season. I believe Shannon gets drunk and calls her friends and shares very personal things with them, such as he hit me or whatever it is you know, stuff like that, and then doesn't ever want it to be brought up on camera. And I understand wanting to keep certain things in your life private, but she seems to have a pretty big mouth when she's talking about these things, and they do get out. They do. And I worry that whatever is going on with John Jansen, even if it's not physically abusive, it feels very, very very unhealthy. And we've all either been in this position or had a friend in this position where they break up and get back together and break up and get back together. And you just want to shake the person and say, this is so toxic. I don't know how you don't see that this is not serving you, but it would be much better if you went no contact with this person. And that's kind of how I feel about everything with John Jansen. I just don't feel he is good for Shannon. And I don't like how she is pining for him and trying to make things work and acting as if it's no big deal that he won't stay over and that his kids hate her and all these things. Like it's something is very off with the two of them and You know, I I really hope this is a wake up call for her and that she can get things together and, you know, lay off the alcohol for a little while, uh, if not forever, you know, but if she doesn't do it, then the courts are going to make her now. I'm really excited next week. I'm having Taria Faisan on the podcast, and she has some really interesting takes about the criminal justice system and how someone like Shannon is treated versus um, many other people uh, in Orange County who are black and brown who are treated very differently in the criminal justice system. So I'm interested in um, having that conversation next week. But I am really worried about Shannon. One thing I will note is that Tamara Judge went on her podcast within 15 or so minutes of finding out what happened and talked about it without checking in with Shannon first. And I feel like this is exactly the kind of person Tamara is. She is a housewife first and a friend second. And Everyone who watches the show seems to see this, but the women who are on the show co-starring with her don't seem to get it. And I don't understand why Shannon and everyone always give Tamara a pass. If I had something like that happen to me, and it doesn't matter if I had, you know, talked to them 
my friend and not been honest or open about what had happened, if they went out and blasted my business and their reaction to my business on social media or on a large platform such as a podcast, I would be like, come on, can you give it like a day, two days, three days? Like, you know, can you talk to me first? I just think Tamara is a really shitty friend and probably not a great person. And, (laughs) you know, I mean, okay, who I I don't like saying people aren't good people. So I'm going to take that back. People are complicated. That's what they are. They're not good. They're bad or bad. They're complicated. So I take that back. But I do feel like uh, Tamara is not a good friend. And we will get to that when we talk about the OC. Um, Another piece of Housewives news is that, again, allegedly, Danielle from the Real Housewives of New Jersey got into some sort of altercation with Jennifer Aiden and broke a wine glass over Jennifer Aiden's head. And allegedly, Jennifer Aiden was bleeding. Um, Some people have said that maybe they've been put on pause since the argument. Now, this is what I actually don't like about New Jersey. Number one, the housewives are way too close with the fans in a in an unhealthy way. They leak stories to fans in a way that I don't think any of the other franchises do, except for Beverly Hills when Lisa Renna was on. Look, we're watching an entire season of Salt Lake and we have no idea what happened. That's the way it should be. I'm tired of getting these spoilers and I'm tired of people trying to spin narratives by going with their fans and leaking information that may or may not be accurate. If we can think back to Real Housewives of Potomac season five, Monique put a whole narrative out there that was incorrect, I believe, about Candace being the initiator and the aggressor in that fight. So let's wait until the season airs. That's what I think. But I'm just tired of having things spoiled. The other thing is these women's animosity towards each other is it's so unhealthy and it really is so toxic. I want them to have maybe a few people on the cast that they dislike, but that they can spar with verbally. You know, the key word being verbal. (laughs) It's like, come on, I don't want to watch these like extremely heated arguments where people throw things or hurt others. And that seems to be very common on The Real Housewives New Jersey. And I'm just I'm not here for it. And I want all the ladies to shut their mouths and stop reaching out to content creators and others and leaking information. It's ruining the show for a lot of us. And it's just, I don't know. I don't think it's healthy. Okay. (laughs) Well, that's all the Bravo news I have uh, for you, except for uh, that Lindsay is on her bachelorette trip with all her friends, and they're basically doing the entire planned bachelorette, regardless of the fact that she is no longer getting married to Carl. And I think that is amazing. Her and her friends set aside time and, you know, a lot of money to put towards this trip. And I believe she needs it now more than ever. And I hope they're having a fabulous time. All right. I want to start this out by talking about the Real Housewives of New York. I feel like we're finally really getting into housewives territory with the amount of petty arguments and laughter that we are having. I I do appreciate it. I like the women kind of sparring with each other, but but being able to get over things and move past things and have a good time. And I feel like this cast is able to do that. 
So they're still in Anguilla, and Aaron and Sai have just been giving Jessel such a hard time. They want her to share more about herself, and they have these assumptions that she's from this well-to-do family. And I think some of it might be due to the fact that she has an accent. Posh British accents sound, you know, fancy, and if you have money. And I think also Jessel maybe have has a different barometer or measurement for what it means to be poor than Sai does, for example. And they just maybe have different definitions of of what's considered poor. So when Jessel is saying that she didn't have money and she only had $17 in her bank account sometimes, I think Sai is saying, okay, but you were living with your uncle who was helping you out. And I was constantly in overdraft and I went unhoused a number of times. But it also doesn't have to be constantly comparing, if that makes sense. I just, I know Sai had it really rough. I know Bryn had it rough. Jessel has her own story. I don't think she's trying to make it sound like she had a tougher time than others. She's just sharing it the way that she experienced it. When she does open up, she starts by talking about her parents and how they were born in Kenya, and they left due to political unrest and moved to the UK. And I don't know why, but this seems so triggering to Sai and maybe to Aaron, uh, but especially Sai, that she started talking about her parents rather than herself. But what I think Sai fails to understand is that if you are a child of an immigrant, and also Jessel's an immigrant herself in the US, she was not born a US citizen. So your story does start with your parents. I think everyone's story starts with their parents and their family. I mean, even when Bryn was opening up, she started with explaining who her parents were and what their ages were and what their social status was and economic status. So I don't understand why it's a problem that Jessel opens up about her parents. So that really irked me. And it I feel like, especially in New York of all places, everyone has an immigrant story. It's a city of immigrants. It's the place that took everyone in. I, I, I don't know. I'm really, really frustrated with Sai, and I actually think I don't like her. I don't know if I like her on the show. I don't know if I like her in this group of women. I just find her to be bitter and salty, and the good parts of her are not enough to outweigh the parts that I don't like. And it's taken me a while to get to this point, but I, I really strongly feel that way. Um, I know a lot of people feel that about Aaron, but but I don't. And I think Aaron, of all people, you know, being Israeli, should understand the immigrant story. That country, you know, was founded in 1948 and was made up of many, many immigrants. And then her parents clearly immigrated to the United States. So uh, anyway, um, so Jessel talks about how her parents helped her with college, but not her move to New York. So she had to live with her uncle. And while she was an intern, she made no money and said it was really tough. And again, I just think that Sai had a different type of tough. And um, size was obviously much worse. But I don't think that people need to kind of like outdo each other for who had a tougher time. It's can she just tell her story how she experienced it is sort of where I'm coming from. And I think Sai is very frustrated because the difference is that Jessel clearly had family that she could 
lean on and go back to if her career aspirations didn't work out and Sai had no safety net. And I think that that might be very triggering for her to hear other people talk about coming up and having nothing, but they do have some sort of safety net. And it's almost like they're not acknowledging that. And I think, I think it is important to acknowledge. It's just maybe not where Jessel was coming from. She was trying to explain her story and May just kept kind of interrupting. And I think it like flustered her. Um, They do talk about their most embarrassing stories, though, at one dinner, and I found that to be hilarious. I enjoyed laughing with them. Jessel fell into a grotto when she was on spring break in Cabo, and her boobs came flying out. I've had that happen (laughs) due to a wave that just hit really hard when I was uh, in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware once, and I was washed ashore, and my top was around my neck, and my bottoms were around my ankles, and I looked like a beach whale, Um, and I had a lot of cuts and bruising from being tossed in the waves, and some, like, 16-year-old lifeguard had to save me, but that that is actually not even among my top five most embarrassing stories. Um, we've got Bryn who put a tampon in her butt. Jenna tumbled down the stairs at a fancy restaurant and was helped by Ralph Fien- Fiennes. Um, Sai shit herself at a track meet. That is hilarious. Uh, Uba trailed toilet paper throughout a club. And then Erin, like, I just don't think she's someone that gets very embarrassed. She's like, yeah, my kid cried on an airplane once. It's like, okay. Um, I've been debating whether or not I should share my most embarrassing story with all of you. And I, I'm leaning towards yes. So I'm just going to go for it, guys. And it is not the story of when I got cholera, which most of you have heard by now. It is something that I don't talk about very often. <laughs> um, so when I was 20 years old, I studied abroad at the University of Cape Town. And me and a number of other study abroad students went on a camping trip throughout Botswana, Zambia, and Zimbabwe over a like two to three week period. During one of these times, we were camping in these two person tents. So it was me and one of my friends. And we are still friends to this day. And she is a Jen with two N's. <laughs> so I, I love Jen with two N's. Um, and okay, so I had my period. And we were in the bush. We didn't have access to trash cans or toilets or anything like that. So what I had been doing is putting my tampons in a little plastic baggie that was like a Ziploc, like in two different Ziplocs, and um, carrying them with me until I, like throughout the day, until I could bury them at night. Um, And I didn't bury the plastic because that wasn't good for the environment. And we were like staying and, you know, where you're not supposed to leave a trace and all of that. So in the middle of the night and we're in rural Botswana, I went with a shovel, which is what we used to go to the bathroom. Um, I took a shovel. I thought I went deep enough and I buried my tampons and I went back to bed. And at about like 5.45, 6 a.m., the sun is rising and we hear some kerfuffle outside of the tent and someone is screaming (laughs) and we walk outside the tent and there are wild donkeys who sniffed out my period blood dug up my tampons and had tampons hanging from their like gnarly little mouths with their disgusting teeth okay (laughs) 
And it was just like my, honestly, my heart dropped all the way to the bottom. I have never felt so embarrassed. But the thing is, no one knew I had my period except for my friend, Jen. And my immediate reaction, and I'm not proud of this, was to look around at everyone who was all in shock and all disgusted and go, ew, who has their period? (laughs) Such a little bitch. And everyone ended up thinking it was somebody else, and I never corrected them. (laughs) And honestly, it's Yom Kippur starting tomorrow, so I am going to atone for that sin. It was terrible (laughs) that I let it get blamed for someone else. But honestly, you should have seen everyone's face, these wild donkeys with like tampons and the oh, the blood and the oh, so gross. It was so gross. And I learned my lesson. I like st- stored them in the Ziploc bags and I waited until we got to a place with a trash can because we did see them every few days. Like once we were out of the bush where we were camping um, for that period of time. Anyways, that is my most embarrassing story. I just have never felt more embarrassed than at that moment. <laughs> it was just, and and no one even really knew it was me, but I did, and and that was embarrassing enough. So now you all can have that image in your head uh, while you continue to drive or walk or cook or whatever else you're doing at this moment. I apologize for that image. Um, Okay, going back to the Real Housewives of New York. So Uba left her phone in the van after dinner, and Aaron ended up retrieving it and decided that she was going to keep it as maybe part of a prank because the day or two before, Uba threw Aaron in the pool. And she's like, okay, game on. I'm going to throw her in the pool next. So when they're all hanging out by the pool, Uba knows this, knows that Aaron is trying to get her in. And Aaron is failing at it. She's like, come on, just let me push you in. But she's not strong enough to do it. And while they're bickering about it, Sai just comes from the side and pushed Uba in the pool. And you know what? That was that was actually pretty funny. And so I would think that that was enough, that there was no need for any other prank. But Aaron decided to keep the phone and was going to like wait until Uba couldn't find it, realized it was gone, was upset, and then give it back. I don't really understand how that's a prank or how that's funny. But, you know, Erin said she grew up with a bunch of siblings. They all pranked each other. Sure. Okay, maybe this is something they would do in their family. I do feel like it was a misunderstanding over what was meant to be a funny prank, which really wasn't funny. And Uba, who felt that there was some really like bad intention on Erin's part, perhaps. So when Uba realizes her phone is missing, she gets super worried. Her and Jessel, who, by the way, I love the pairing of them together, sharing a room. I enjoy their morning chats in the bed so much. So they go looking for it and Sai's like, oh, I think Aaron has it. And they text the group chat and Aaron has that emoji that's like, hmm, which is very clear that she has it. They go to Aaron's room and Aaron gives it to Uba. Uba is not over this. She is very, very, very mad. And so the next day, she lets them know how angry she is. And I don't think we've really seen this side of her. So it is a little off-putting. Like, why is she so mad about this? But it definitely, it rubbed her the wrong way. And she has a right to be upset. So, you know, 
it I don't understand why it got so heated. But Uba is given a lot of energy, negative energy towards Aaron. Aaron is not happy about it. Aaron goes up and says, don't talk, don't use my name when I'm not around, something stupid. And Uba is angry that Aaron is speaking to her the way that she is and leans over and takes her glasses off, which Aaron thinks is, you know, an intimidating thing. And that's sort of how the episode ends. I don't think it was great that Uba took the glasses off. I feel like that is stepping into someone's personal space. But I'm sure that they have worked it out by now and forgiven each other because this like isn't that deep. You know, it just isn't that deep. But I know when you're on a trip and you're exhausted and it's it's not fun to lose things. It's not fun when you think you lose things. You go through that period where in your head you're like, oh, my God, what if this? What if that? What am I going to do? How am I, you know, and then. I don't know. I don't really know. I don't understand why this devolved to where it did. The prank wasn't funny, bottom line, and Uba, I think, did overreact. That's just my opinion. Okay, want to talk about Salt Lake next. Another vacation trip. I feel like when we get housewives on vacations, we know they're just a little bit more unhinged because when they film regularly, they do get to go home and they do get to take their mics off and they do get a break. That's why, you know, winter house and summer house are so fascinating is because they don't get a break from filming especially the season that Summer House was quarantined. So they didn't even go back to New York City. But they don't get that break. Like they're on camera all the time. And so I think it does lead the reality stars who are on these kinds of shows to like go a little bit, you know, they get in their own head. And I think that's sort of what happens on, I think that's what happened when the Roni ladies were in Anguilla. And I think that's a bit of what's happening in Palm Springs. So the ladies are staying at the Trixie Motel and they all know who Trixie is, a famous um, drag queen, except for Mary. And I cannot get over Mary Cosby's comments throughout this episode she is so funny I know she's not trying to be but she is she's honestly the comedic relief that I feel like this show needs and I know some people either really like her or really don't like her and have a lot of feelings about her I don't really know where I stand um she's never been convicted of anything I don't know but she is so so needed (laughs) in terms of comedy So, I mean, again, laughing about how when Angie's like, come on over here, girl. And she's like, don't talk to me like that. (laughs) I feel like everyone wants to respond to Angie that way. (laughs) And she's like, Heather's like, oh, she's a loud mouth. And then when they were going around and she was like, you guys might not know this, but I'm a bit of a loner. (laughs) It's just chef's kiss. So Whitney, of course, decides to be messy and bring Angie along for this trip, even though Angie doesn't get along with Heather or Meredith. And then Angie tries to play dumb and be like, I can't believe they're upset that I'm here. (laughs) She's so annoying. Um, And she's constantly pointing out how she's being treated differently by the other ladies, particularly Meredith. And that doesn't bode well to fit in. She's kind of coming in like she did something combative, coming on a trip that she wasn't in invited on and then being combative once she arrived there it's just very unnecessary so the ladies end up going in pairs to pick out outfits for each other 
because Meredith Mark says that it builds trust and she's putting people together who need to build trust. So it's her and Lisa. It's Whitney and Heather, bad weather. And we've got Monica and Mary together, which is a duo I didn't know I needed. I actually felt like they were getting along. They were really sweet. I loved when Monica said, oh, Mary, you should have had a daughter. You're so good at dressing people. Mary picked out the most beautiful outfit. I loved how Monica looked. I absolutely loved it. Aside from the fascinator, I think that was a little over the top. But, you know, I enjoyed them. And I hope to see Mary form some other relationships with women on the cast. And maybe Monica is a good start. Angie doesn't have anyone to partner with because (laughs) she wasn't originally on the trip. She also didn't get a t-shirt for Meredith as a gift. And so she's tagging along with Meredith and Lisa. And it's just, it's so annoying. You know how when someone is sort of tagging along with you and talking too much? That's how I feel about Angie. I just feel like she doesn't know when to be quiet. And the tone of her voice is very annoying. It really is. So she's going around. She dresses herself. She picks some sort of Grecian thing. I don't know. Lisa Barlow is becoming unhinged. She's so upset at what Meredith Marks had her wear, which was very revealing. And they're going to some fancy restaurant. And she's essentially wearing a bikini and not much else. Um, And (laughs) she's still very upset. I don't want to laugh about the like $58,000 ring, which she always rounds that up to $60,000 ring that she lost likely at the airport. And this is, I think, irking others. And I really appreciated when Mary was like, oh, maybe you could get another ring like when they're going shopping. (laughs) But I'm sure, you know, I understand it's really sad to lose a piece of jewelry that is meaningful to you. But I feel like I would have had more empathy if it was like a parent's wedding ring or like an heirloom in the family, something that like truly cannot be replaced. Whereas this is something special, but it likely could be replaced and probably has insurance. And I did appreciate Monica bringing up to Lisa, hey, you're complaining about this ring, but you know, I can't afford any of that. And I'm just trying to get by with my four kids. And it seems a little tone deaf. And I think you're pretty tone deaf. And Lisa Barlow is tone deaf. But I think that's why a lot of us love her. So I agreed with Monica, but you know, still love Lisa. (laughs) She's kind of like my Shannon Bedore of Salt Lake City. I love her even though she's usually wrong. (laughs) Um, So speaking of Monica, I actually think that she I don't want to come out too strong because Brian Moylan always says he has the Eileen Davidson Accord, which is that you can't judge a new housewife for at least five episodes. But I'm really liking Monica. I feel like she calls things as she sees them and she's being herself, but she's also playing a little bit of a game. And I appreciate pretty much what she said thus far. She is not loyal to anyone, which I appreciate. I don't I think it's so stupid when Angie's like, I can't believe she said that. She's supposed to be my friend. I brought her on this show. That is the most annoying thing about housewives is the stupid loyalty. And it's probably why I can't stand the real housewives of New Jersey half the time, because all they talk about about is being loyal and it's like no why can't you call your friends out when they do something that sucks 
Like, it shouldn't be that hard. You can do it in a kind way. You don't always have to do it on camera. I get that. But you don't have to have your friends back all the goddamn time, especially when they're wrong. So, um, (laughs) Whitney at dinner decides to, you know, stir the pot like she usually does and says they should share things that others didn't know about themselves. And it was really boring. I mean, you're talking about being into poetry or birds. And finally, Monica's like, so I fucked my uh, brother-in-law for 18 months. And everyone was like, wait, so your your husband's brother, your has like what they were trying to figure out like which side like <laughs> was it your sister's husband like well, you know what was it and um none of them yeah I mean they were shocked but I'd have so many more questions I would have stopped the game at that point and been like tell me everything I need to know everything about the story because it is wild So then when there wasn't enough drama from that game, Whitney pulls out another game, which is warm and fuzzy, cold and prickly, where you talk about the person to your right, something warm and fuzzy about them and something cold and prickly about them. And so Heather explains to Angie why she doesn't really like her and she doesn't trust her. And she feels that Angie cozies up to whoever's like the biggest baller or whatever in the room. So whether it was Jen Shaw or, you know, Lisa or whatever it is, she's always kind of trying to hitch herself to who she thinks is cool. And I don't know, Angie's for for someone who says that she's there to receive it. I don't really think she is there to receive it. Um, Of course, Monica tells Lisa that it's hard to hear her complain about losing that ring over and over since she's in a different uh, financial situation. And then at the end, Angie makes some really annoying toast where she talks about how in her household, they learn a new Greek word every day. And she uses the word fake. And this sets off Meredith. First of all, Meredith is not being fake towards Angie. She's saying, Angie, I don't like you. I'm not going to have you come on my trip because I don't like you. That's not fake at all. Being fake were to be inviting her and smiling at her and then saying crap about her behind her back. No, no, no. None of them are being fake. They're all being pretty honest and open with each other. And I, I am enjoying it. So... You know, they get really into it. And I don't really understand exactly. I can't remember why Meredith dislikes Angie so much. The things that she's claiming Angie said, there's no tape. Like, they're they're not rolling the tape on that. So I don't know if she did. But regardless... Meredith, uh, they've all had a lot to drink, but Meredith really slurs her words when she's drinking. And I don't know if she's pairing it with something else, some medication, but it is abnormal how much she is slurring her words and her like, you can leave. And then there are things that are going on that are a lot fucking deeper than this nonsense. There are children who are going to be disabled for the rest of their lives. And everyone's confused. Everyone is confused. She leaves. She's hysterically crying. Lisa follows her. You know, Lisa really wants to be there for her. I do think she does. And she's trying to comfort Meredith. Um, And then Meredith is like, you know, if Angie wants to go there with rumors and nastiness, then like I'll go there with her husband about the husband. And we're left not knowing. It's like, you know, when Kim Richards went after Lisa Rinna and said, well, you know, we don't talk about the husband and all of that. So I I'm interested. What do you guys think is up with Angie's husband? I do think there is something there. I think it's crazy that they're 
11-year-old child sleeps in bed with them. And I think, I don't know, something's off. Um, Not that I'm implying that he is like sexually abusive or anything like that. No, I just, I don't know, maybe maybe it's like a convenience marriage. Like maybe he's gay and she's his beard and she gets money from him. I don't, I don't know exactly what that, what the deal is with them, but um, something's, something's different. Um, And I want to know what it is, at least what these rumors are. So they take this sprinter van back and my goodness, sprinter vans and the cast of Salt Lake City just go together like (laughs) chocolate and wine. It is a beautiful sight. And they get back to the motel and well, on the ride back, Meredith is saying that they're, you know, alluding to there's something bigger going on. It has to do with one of her friends, but she's not going to tell them. And Whitney does call her out on the fact that when she gets asked about stuff or and she then gets upset and says, I'm upset about something else, but she never tells them what it is. I do feel like she does use it. I don't think it's an excuse. I think she usually is upset about something, but she needs to say what it is. And... You know, she doesn't have to go into too much detail, but it would be helpful if she, you know, let us in a little bit more. Um, and then, of course, with Whitney doing that, Mary starts going after Whitney once the, everyone's out of the car. And I was kind of waiting for this to happen because Whitney was really intense on season, what season was it, season two, about going after Mary's church and kind of taking her down and What's, you know, all the rumors about her church and her maybe being a predator. And Mary, God bless Mary, like, it was like, you called me a pornography. (laughs) And I think everyone's confused. And then Heather, who's like about to vomit, is like, no, it was a predator. (laughs) Amazing, amazing television. And, you know, I think that... Mary definitely has a bone to pick with Whitney, and I hope they actually do get to have a real conversation about the things that Whitney said about Mary. And I hope Mary is able to explain, hey, like, this is what's actually going on, and this is what you said, and this is how it's hurtful, that kind of stuff. Um, And I hope Whitney apologizes, because I don't know, if it hasn't been proven, it hasn't been proven. That's how I feel. So then, of course, Heather vomits into a bag on the van, and Whitney almost vomits herself watching Heather vomit. (laughs) And with that, we're going to take a quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I am back and ready to talk about this week's Real Housewives of Orange County. This is a really tough episode for Heather Dubrow, and the only person to blame for this is Tamara Judge. She has been going after Heather when she realized that her attempted takedown of Jen with two ends was not going to work because Jen wasn't fighting back. She decided to pivot to Heather Dubrow 
and she's orchestrating this takedown and Gina and Emily are willing accomplices, but I feel like they're just being played the way that Shannon is always played by Tamara. It is absolutely crazy that Shannon is getting mad at Heather for things that she thinks Heather did, but they're things that Tamara did. So one of the examples is that at BravoCon, apparently Tamara was talking shit about Gina and Emily. And Emily got it in her head that it was Shannon that was talking about her. And this all kind of comes to a head when they're having dinner. And Heather's like, no, like that wasn't me. That was Tamara. And Tamara's like, yeah, but you said that they're losers. You called everyone losers who was on the show with you. And she's like, I was talking about Noella and Jen, Dr. Jen. Um, not about them. And of course, Gina is so quick to believe the worst things about Heather. That's been going on the entire season from the beginning. Anytime Heather does just about anything, she's like, hmm, this really makes me question our friendship. What the fuck is wrong with you that you're questioning your friendship with her continuously? If you are continuously questioning her friendship, then maybe you're the one that's not friends with her because Heather has always thought she was friends with Eugenia. Oh, I'm so frustrated with them. And so it all kind of starts off with Gina brings up Heather in when they're in a sprinter van, of course, um, not following them on Instagram. And Heather's like, you know, I stopped following everyone on the show when I left the show because I didn't want to have FOMO. I think she wanted to have a boundary. Okay, so they're upset with her for that. And then she just never started following them again. Well, then she did start following them and they found a way to make it be angry about that. And, you know, Emily's like, you know, when you say you feel like you don't fit in, maybe it's because of things like that, like not following us. And, you know, and of course, this leads Heather to be like, oh, yeah, of course, it's all my fault. Always my fault. And that's true. I feel like they're blaming her for absolutely everything. There are things that Heather does that are not great and that are worthy of being called out, such as calling Emily Snuffleupagus, okay? That is an insult regardless of the intention. And she should apologize for how it made Emily feel, okay? She shouldn't, like, she should understand that. But when they're going after her for things that are just so, like, not actual issues, then when she does get attacked for something that she did that was wrong, she's like, well, I don't want to apologize for absolutely anything anymore. And um, Heather basically said that she was feeling ganged up on. She's in the car. She's upset. And Tamara is she's just poking. She's poking the entire episode saying, you know, stay calm and you're getting defensive and tone it down to bro. If someone told me to tone it down when I was just expressing that I felt ganged up on in a calm manner. Oh, my God. I And so they go to this dinner. And again, this is after some of them go swimming with turtles. Others go parasailing. I don't know. I could go like the rest of my life without hearing Vicki Gunvalson scream. For some reason, I'm okay with hearing Shannon Bedore scream, but Vicky's scream is too much for me. And it's maybe how much they had us listening to her scream, parasailing. <laughs> you know, I'm like, ah, okay. So they're at this dinner and it's at the coolest place. They're in some sort of, it looks almost like a really elaborate treehouse kingdom or something like that. There's nets that you have to walk over. 
watching Shannon <laughs> try to walk on the nets and then absolutely freak out was the highlight of the episode for me. I was laughing. People were looking at me. I was watching this on the train from New York City back to D.C. And <laughs> I am laughing out loud, trying to cover my mouth. People are looking at me and I'm just, I, it's so funny. And I see so much of myself in her. I am always afraid of uneven surfaces. I love going on boats, but I always am afraid I'm going to fall. And it makes me more likely to fall because I'm so afraid and like I'm thinking too hard rather than just walking like I normally walk. (laughs) I had a friend tell me once that, I walk like someone who's just learned how. And that is, I do that a lot in those kinds of situations where I'm just like unsure. And I would be super anxious walking on a net as well that has these holes and you don't want to fall through the holes and it doesn't feel safe and all of that. So anyway, so they're at this dinner in the trees, treehouse kind of a thing. I don't know if there was actually any trees, by the way, but that's what I decided it was. So Heather seemed to be getting over everything from that morning and she was talking to Vicky and Vicky was saying that she wasn't diving headfirst into her new relationship. There was a lot that was going on where Vicky sort of, I think, was trying to apologize to Jen with two ends about going after her um, and, and Ryan's relationship by saying, you know, I made mistakes in my past You know, she did start out by saying you should have never broken up your family, (laughs) which is and then she's saying, I know because I did it. I left a good man and I should have never done it. It was the worst mistake I made. And I don't want you to make a mistake, that kind of a thing. And, you know, then I think she gets a little bit kinder towards Jen and Jen is extremely good at taking all of this in and understanding where Vicky is coming from and not picking a fight with Vicky. Like Jen is so evolved in how she handles conflict, I think personally, because she doesn't react as harshly and they're always trying to provoke her and she doesn't give them what she wants. And then when she finally does, she evokes sympathy from everyone and it makes whoever picked on her look like an asshole. So she's playing this brilliantly. And I think everyone's on her side. So Vicky is talking about her relationship. And Heather says, you know, I'm happy to hear you're not diving head first. And then, of course, Tamara decides to bring up what Heather had said in Montana about Shannon's relationship. They were all talking about the fact that Shannon said her girls were home alone. And they were wondering, why doesn't John stay with the girls? They've been dating three and a half years Why is he not at the house when Shannon's not away, like when she's away? And I think Heather said something about like maybe they're not fully all in or fully. I forgot exactly what the wording was, but it wasn't in a negative way. It's just like, oh, maybe they're not there despite how long they've been dating. Maybe it's just like not where they're at. And Tamara made it sound like it was something really nasty and was said in a nasty way. And of course, Shannon has these ideas being put in her head by Tamara all season. And she is so angry with Heather, so angry with Heather. And then she brings up how Heather told Emily that Shannon was talking shit about Emily and Gina at BravoCon. And Heather's like, that wasn't me. That was Tamara. Isn't it the most obvious thing that it's Tamara? Tamara's the one that talks shit about absolutely everybody. 
And rather than believe Heather, you know, they're kind of looking to Tamara who said, no, Heather, you don't want to admit what you said. You said they were all losers. And Heather's like, I was talking about Noella and Dr. Jen, which like Noella was a loser. Okay. (laughs) And Gina is just so quick to believe that Heather looped her in as a loser, despite the fact that Heather absolutely loved hanging out with and filming with Gina all last season. So why would she say that about Gina? The fact that it's so easy for Gina to believe that crap, it's so annoying to me. It's so annoying. And she's like, I feel so stupid. I can't even do her accent. It's so dumb. Oh, I'm so this this whole episode made me so angry because I'm like, guys, Tamara is playing all of you and she's making you mad at other people, but you never, ever go back to her. And Gina was one of the smart ones in the beginning who's like, hey, you know, you shouldn't really trust Tamara and things like that. Girl, don't trust Tamara in this moment, in this conversation. And, you know, it's just it's. Gina's playing victim again. Everyone's upset. Heather walks away. She's very upset. Taylor ends up talking to her, which ends up being a really beautiful moment between the two of them because they didn't really get along at the beginning of the season. And to have them have this moment where Heather is able to express herself without being yelled at and just have someone listen to her is, I think, was very important for Heather in that moment. But You know, the episode ends and it seems like she is like threatening to leave the show because of how much she is being picked on on this trip and the whole season. And I think she handles it so well. I would have become an emotional wreck and she really kept it together. And I really can't wait to see the OC reunion because I am hoping at least some of these ladies have opened their eyes, watched the season back, and see how Tamara is playing them all like fools. Speaking of fools. (laughs) Time to go into this week's Southern Charm. So I didn't cover it last week. And, you know, there's not much to go over from the first episode other than Taylor is very unhinged following the end of her and Shep's relationship, which we saw at the reunion last year. She was so angry with him. She was so upset with him. And I understand, like, she thought she was special. She thought she could change him. Maybe he said things to her that made it seem as though he was capable of getting married and starting a family. But the facts are, that he has never said that he wants to get married and start a family. And he has said he doesn't even believe in God. And she is really, really into being Christian. And she talks about it a lot. So it feels like maybe this isn't the right match. But she ignores all of her common sense. She is just all of her eggs are in Shep's basket. And when the basket broke, she doesn't, she's not doing a great job picking up the pieces. But, you know, I don't want to tell someone how to grieve, but she gets very angry and takes it out on Craig because he didn't tell her all of the different times that Shep had cheated on her. She knew enough. She knew he wasn't faithful to her and she was always anxious whenever he was traveling and she wasn't there. If 
if that's how you feel when your partner is away, like why would you want to start a family with them and get married and settle down? Like it's clear that the relationship was on shaky ground and that it was when they decided to go travel together and he asked her to quit her job. Now, this week we find out that she quit her job and she, you know, because of that, she had to find a new job, which is a load of bullshit. If she really wanted to be an orthodontist assistant, she could go back to that. But that is a job that requires a lot of work. You probably have to get there at 8 a.m. You leave by 5. That's not great for filming. And she is now a main cast member on Southern Charm because of Shep, because she dated him, he brought her on the show, and now she's a main star of the show. So (laughs) she gets this job from one of Shep's friends selling canned alcohol. And she goes to Leva's bar, and Leva's like, all right, sell this to me. And she sucks. She flops. She can't get a word in. She's saying, um, um, um. She's not explaining the drinks well. This is just, I just want to shake her and be like, Taylor, get your act together, girl. Like, (laughs) oh, she just wants to blame everyone. You know, she was so mad at Craig. She shouted, you know, what about your girlfriend cheats on you? Even though like we all know Paige is too busy laying in bed with Sierra when she's not with Craig to even contemplate cheating. So if you guys haven't picked up on this by now, I'm not a fan of Taylor. And I will lay out my thesis as to why I dislike her. First of all, she acts like she's so sweet and innocent, but she is someone who clearly is going after Austin or having an inappropriate relationship with Austin, who is her best friend Olivia's ex-boyfriend. She's not thinking about Olivia at all. She is someone who's very selfish and She has been told probably her whole life that she's so beautiful and she's so sweet and she's such a catch and she really believes it. And then she goes after these guys that she thinks she can change and that she can mold because she's so special. And then when they don't change to fit what she wants, it it, like, you know, she gets she comes undone. And I can understand that. But the thing that really frustrates me about her is the religious stuff because she claims to be this devout Christian and the type of Christian that she claims to be is, you know, in the South and all that where they, you know, frown upon premarital sex and homosexuality and excessive drinking, like all of the things that, (laughs) I mean, she's engaging in so much of this stuff. And so oh, it's an exception when you choose to have premarital sex, but when other people do it, it's a problem, or it's okay for you because you're straight. But when gay people, that's a huge, like, I don't know. It just, it feels like she's a hypocrite, and I I don't know. I, I just feel like she's like a pick-me girl, and I've never said that about anyone on any of these shows. But she she thinks she is special, and she throws her actual friends under the bus continuously and she's just always looking for male attention to validate that she is special 
and it just irks me to no end. And I have a feeling that I'm very much going to side with Olivia throughout this season because this whole episode, they're talking about how she slept over at Austin's the night before. And, you know, Austin has this whole story about how they were out drinking and JT came over and then JT left and he thought Taylor left, but she crashed in his guest room. And then in the morning, he was shocked that she was still there. And it's, I don't know, it's, I'm not buying it. No one's buying it. Craig points out that he looked down and to the left, which is a real thing for lying. I remember learning this in psychology class that people tend to look down to the left when they're lying. And I I just find that interesting. I don't know if it's a spy thing, but um, maybe because they probably learn a lot about psychology and sociology and why people behave the way that they do and try and you know, come to their own conclusions. Okay, so we also meet some new people this episode. We meet three new guys. We've got JT, who's got this Napoleon complex. Now, I don't know if he's actually short or if he just looks short because everyone else is like 6'5". But, you know, he was married for about seven years. And then I think his wife, like, maybe left him for some ski instructor in the Alps. <laughs> I like a hate how Shep was like, which Alps? <laughs> like the French Alps, the Swiss Alps, the <laughs> Italian Alps? <laughs> He's such a douche. <laughs> like, such a douche. And and I, we're saying that about, like, and JT is like, and it, he's... He's an aspiring douche. He wants to be douchey, but I actually think he's a nice guy. And <laughs> he just like wants to fit in by being a dick. And I just don't think it works on him. I don't think I don't think he's a dick. Um, they, granted, I we've not seen him for very long, so I can, you know, reserve the right to change my mind. And he seems to really like Taylor. He spends a lot of time with her and he is kind of grilling Shep like, why did you let her go? She's perfect. <laughs> And I hate that. That's probably exactly what she thinks of herself, which is why she's like, how could he let me go? I'm perfect. (laughs) I was supposed to change him. We've also got Rod, who is interested in Olivia. We see them go on this really cute park date when they go on a walk and he brings her a sandwich. And he went to two different bakeries to find gluten-free bread for her, which I thought was really cute and sweet and she seems awkward in the best way and into him and I think this is a very cute date and I think he's a very nice guy he's also very funny when that tour bus came and they were waving and he's like oh look to your left you'll see like hundreds of white people and one brown dude wave at the brown guy make him feel comfortable make him feel welcome I was like you're funny this is great just side note, and granted, I'm not someone to believe all these rumors, but there are some rumors that Taylor went after Rod this past summer, which, again, wouldn't be shocked by. She seemed to kind of go after Austin with no regards for Olivia. So we've got that. Um, then we meet Rodrigo, who is friends with Craig and Austin. He is gay. I think this may have, is this the first openly gay guy that we've seen on Southern Charm as a actual character on the show not just someone who shows up and goes to dances with either Patricia or there's that like guy who's really into art in the first few seasons and he would hang out with Cameron Eubanks and Patricia anyways so um that's a refreshing you know thing to see someone who's um from the LGBTQ plus community on this show so he talks about how he's been with his boyfriend Tyler for eight years he also has an ex-boyfriend who is now married to a woman and he tells a funny story about going to I think their wedding or meeting up with them 
Um, so the guys go out and, you know, JT outs that Taylor slept over at Austin's night before. Austin claims they didn't hook up, but it's clear that Shep is starting to really kind of his mind is going and he's thinking it's about 50 50 whether or not they actually hooked up and craig keeps calling austin out like this is not cool you're shep's friend and after the breakup like it's okay to maybe remain cordial with taylor but you got even closer with her and you know that's not your friend shep's your friend i don't know how i feel about that i think he could totally maintain a relationship with Taylor, I think the closeness of it and the amount of drinking that goes along with it is what the problem is. Like if they were meeting for coffee like she does with JT in the morning, I don't think that's as big of a deal because they clearly are friendly and friends and I think he really cares about her. But it's what they do together that I think makes it inappropriate. So... You know, the rest of the episode is literally just all of them talking about Taylor and Shep, Taylor and Austin, how this impacts Shep. And I'm thinking the entire episode, but what about Olivia? Like, what does this mean for her? Because her and Taylor said that they're best friends last week, that they were saying that they got so close that Taylor said she thinks of Olivia as a sister. Think of her as a sister, but then you go after her ex, maybe even more than one. Guys, I think this might be a takedown of Taylor season. I I don't know exactly how this is going to play out, but I can see the other women not falling for her bullshit. I can see Madison calling it out. I can see Vanita calling it out, Leva calling it out, although I think Leva will be nicer. Um, And certainly Paige because, you know, yeah, it's just not cool. It's not cool. Paige stayed friends with Austin even though Sierra and Austin broke up, but she has a friendship with him because of Craig. And I don't think it ever veers into inappropriateness. And so I think that's the difference. I think it's always okay to stay friends with someone's ex, especially if the ex, the friend is okay with it. But it's like crossing certain lines when you're hanging out late at night, drinking, sleeping over at each other's place. You know, we all know what goes on with this group and especially with Austin. And he always likes to deny stuff. You know, we've all seen the Madison, Madison and the two girls leaving his room while he's grabbing his like scrunched up dick. Yeah. (laughs) All right, guys. Well, that is it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We will be back uh, next week with a guest and yeah, for those of you who celebrate the Jewish high holidays, you know, Lashana Tova Umetuka, and um, may you have an easy fast this Yom Kippur. All right. Love you guys. Appreciate you listening so much. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, go, you know, give it a five star rating, leave a kind review. And if there's any constructive criticism, feel free to reach out to me in my DMs at Mandy Slutsker. Have a great week. Talk to you soon.